I had to make inventory of of relationship mm-hmm. that I had and really say to myself, wait a minute, I kind of see the pattern that this person has with all of my previous unhealthy relationships, and I've been ignoring it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. hmm, there's something about this that doesn't sit right. But when I wrote it down and I really was able to see the whole picture, I said, wait, I've seen this before. And mm-hmm. now I'm not fooling myself anymore into thinking, oh, your friendship is going to help us. Welcome to the Life with Jan and Cat podcast where we exchange stories of our spiritual and entrepreneurial journeys in the hopes of encouraging you in yours. Well, hello, hello. Welcome, everyone, to episode number four. Number four. Um, We're already on episode number four. Jesus. I know. I know. Jesus. I'm so excited. So Literally excited. halfway through the season, guys. <laughs> yes. Halfway yes, through yes, the yes. And it has been great. It has definitely been great so far. We're really enjoying this. Um and today, 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 if you haven't seen our last episode, it was on mental health. So yeah. make sure you go listen it was a really or watch good episode. on YouTube. Yes, 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 it really was. Um, and today we're going to be talking about powerful relationships. And so, yeah, we're just kind of, we're going to share our journeys through, through learning how to do right, <laughs> connecting with the yeah. right people and having healthy relationships. So let's get started the first question that i have for you kat today is for you to share with us what was your experience actually with unhealthy relationships if you want to share with us how yeah. how did you go about that how did it start it and when you noticed and all that stuff when i noticed i had a pattern of really unhealthy relationships well it was fairly recent i'll say that that I learned that I had a pattern of broken relationships. Like I had a trail of broken relationships behind me. But in my experience, unhealthy relationships for me were kind of like the norm. I just Mm -hmm. gravitated towards people that were really, really toxic or like would not value me or that just would not see me as I, you know, as I was. And I don't know why, like I just gravitated towards people that were emotionally unavailable. Even in romantic relationships, I was just that person that gravitated towards that. But really, I just grew I grew up seeing that, you know, I grew up seeing that as a kid at home, like, you know, an emotionally unavailable father and all of that stuff. And just kind of played into how I went about unhealthy relationships as an adult. Specifically, I had a lot of friends or a lot of relationships that I would kind of like find myself trying to save them from something or like trying to like not for them not to experience or avoid that for them Mm, for them not to avoid the consequences Mm -hmm. of their actions and it was like my whole entire life was like that you know even in friends and I would just kind of like adjust myself (laughs) for for the friendships even though they didn't value me and so kind of like people pleasing 
yeah so for a long time it it really looked like people pleasing and it's still something to this day that I struggle with like I I just realized that I think it was a couple months ago I'm like people pleasing is not I was just sitting on my couch and I was like people pleasing is not ever gonna be not ever gonna stop being tempting to me you know and that's kind of when I realized that I, I I had I'm probably gonna have a lifelong journey with uh, people pleasing and mm -hmm. having to like not bend the knee to it mm -hmm. you know um so I'm I'm in that process right now of healing that aspect of myself but for a long time that's what a lot of my relationships look like it looked like people pleasing it looked like adjusting myself um for the other person and really realizing you know and I and I could I could right now like put the blame on the other like on mm -hmm. the other person but in reality like it, it was really just me it was me not being aware of my value me not being aware of my worth me being in situations with people where I was trying to make them stay or trying to make them my friends or like really think oh eventually they're gonna realize that I'm the right person for them and it's like that's not ever gonna happen so it just turned into this really toxic realm of you know like me trying to save them and then us fighting because they really don't want to be saved they just want to be and mm -hmm. me never really accepting that, you know, like I, I just couldn't accept that they didn't want to be saved. I'm like, everybody wants to be saved and I got mm -hmm. what you need. So that's kind of what toxic, that part aspect of toxic relationships looked like for me. Um, I don't know. What did they look like for you? For me? Um, so, of course, for me, it started as a young girl because my dad he was present the first five years of my life you know I had already built a relationship with him but it was very unhealthy mm -hmm. and so for me how I started is I that savior complex like was pretty much pushed down my throat Mm -hmm. And I, I took on roles that, that were into that saving, you know, other people. Mm -hmm. And it started with my dad, you know, yeah. I became his mom technically <laughs> as a young, as a young girl. Very similar. I, yeah. I, be, I became, I became his mom, you know, and, and as I got older, I was very rebellious because, you know, there, we don't want to put the blame on these people, but the reality also is that they did had a lot to do, especially when, I mean, you don't choose who your parents are going to be. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you, yeah. whoever they are is whoever they are. And you also learn a lot of behaviors. You know, majority of our behaviors, we, we capture them, you know, from a young age. And so for me, um, you know, my dad was, he, he he's, he's one of those people that he's, you know, he can talk anybody into anything, you know, he yeah. just, he's very loving and very, you know, he has this thing that he just involves you in, in it. And so I grew up with that. And when I saw him struggling, he just had that pull on me, you know, that I, I was like, oh, feeling sorry for my dad and then feeling angry with my mom, you know, like it was like, like reverse, like, like everything mm -hmm. was backwards. And, um, and I rebelled against my mom because I was like blaming her, you know, mm -hmm. like, you look at my dad, like, he's a victim, like, why would you, and so that messed me up, that mm -hmm. I had no, I had no clue on how to identify mm -hmm. what good from bad was in the sense of relationship, yeah. and because I had that, 
need that my father was not, you know, fulfilling in me, and you know, the, the acceptance, not feeling abandoned, you know, the sense of belonging somewhere. I was, I was also, I will, I was gravitated to people that only wanted to take advantage of me, but to me, them taking advantage of me was a way of me feeling loved and accepted. And so, you know, for me, it was just that journey. And until a few years ago, when I, when I started this process of healing and, you know, trying to progress and really mature and really be like, okay, no, you got to do something about this because you're, you know, (laughs) clearly you're not happy. Right. Um, and, and so I had to, I had to start letting people go. Yeah. And it is the that's hardest hard. thing. Yeah. That's it is the really hardest, hard. the hardest thing because see if, if you're anybody like I'm loyal, I'm yeah. a loyal person, you know, loyalty for me is very important. And, but you know, I was also lying to myself because these people were not giving me anything. Yeah. I was the one giving my all thinking that I had what it took to save them, you know, and in reality, you know, the only people that you can only save yourself. Yeah. <laughs> really. no, that's, that's real. <laughs> you know, Especially really. so this... that, is it the Messiah complex? Is this what it's yeah, called? It's, Messiah it's complex, savior, you know, they savior, call it a savior yeah. or Messiah complex. And it's, mm-hmm. it's crazy because in this generation, particularly you hear a lot of people, even like what you see on, on online, what's mostly projected is, you can cut people off at any moment and just leave their toxicity or, you know, but it's really difficult when like they make it seem like fairly easy. But Mm -hmm. to me, in my experience, it's actually really hard. Like Mm -hmm. this is hard to do specifically if it's family members, at least for me, that has been like the hardest thing to set boundaries with family members. Um, And I think that, when you have that long process in a relationship, you know, where you develop those feelings of like caring for them and you're invested and you've poured so much into, because I think that's really the part that gets everybody. Like I've invested so much on this person. I've invested my time, my resources. And I know that's something that a lot of us have done and really thinking back on it. And once it gets to the time of you processing that relationship or taking inventory on how, productive or beneficial that relationship is for you you're like oh this doesn't actually like I now that you should be going into it with the intent of getting something but like you know what I'm saying like this relationship is not even helping me grow like I feel Mm -hmm. stagnant and that's always the hardest thing to do to take inventory and say if I continue this I'm just gonna drag you along with me and I don't want to drag anybody like you should want to come on this journey with me I shouldn't be dragging you. You should be happy to be, you know what I'm saying? Like something that you were saying is like, we don't have to do this. We get to do this. Like we get to do life with another person. You get to do life with a friend. You get to do life with a community. It's not something that it's owed to anyone. It's just something Mm -hmm. that it's really a privilege to be able to do it with other people. And, you know, full disclosure, this is a journey that I'm actually walking out right now. So this is Mm -hmm. actually like a very, very hard topic for me to Mm because I'm literally in the middle of processing, you know, a a lot of the relationships and how it has how it has affected me as a person. Mm -hmm. Because one thing about unhealthy relationships is like there's stuff that happens in them 
that marks you forever or that leaves some kind of trauma inside of you and you don't really get to process that in the moment it isn't until like years later that you're like holy crap like why am I doing this like where did I learn this how did this happen and you really have to go back to that specific moment in the relationship where someone said something or someone did something that they weren't supposed to and you're like how to deal with that in the moment Mm -hmm. but that's the reality of it like you're when you're in an unhealthy relationship at the moment, the majority of people don't know that they are in an unhealthy relationship. Right. So, yeah. They're not aware. They're, they're, they're fully yeah. aware. Especially yeah. if you haven't done the healing work, it's like, I, I don't know. <laughs> how, how can you know? And the thing is this also, you know, we, we come in with people like us that we experience, you know, that, that uh, rejection, especially from somebody that's so important, you know, in, in, in our lives, our parents, you know what I'm saying? But a dad, you know, the, a lot of people don't even know. And I, I, I've, I've had this controversial, controversial um, conversation with some woman uh, because I, I am fully aware that a um, um, a mom cannot be a dad. And you see, you know, how people sometimes in social media are like, oh, you know, I'm a single mom, I'm mom and dad. And <laughs> I don't agree. I don't agree with it because as a person who comes from divorced parents and had endured all of that and being marked and traumatized from such a young age on on, on that side, right? That is, is a very, very important key on how we actually build relationships. Yes. It's for example, like I always tell my husband is like, it is not my job to set the standards of, on how relationships go. Because when, you know, our daughters go out there to start dating and stuff like that, they're going to look at that and say, how did my dad treat it? My mom, how did that treat it us? And then that's going to be the measure that they're going to use, you know, in regards to, to mm-hmm. that and even friendships. They're going to yeah. look at what kind of friendships my dad had. Normally, it's not the mom. It's the dad because the dad sets the standards. And so, you know, I, 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 you know, all of you who are single moms and are fighting it over there, like, I'm I'm super proud. You know, like, I, to me, it's like, wow, you're making out. I, I, I think about it. I'm like, you know, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, we have to be real with the fact that yeah. if my husband were not to be here, you know, and I'm here with my daughters, I cannot, I, I have to be realistic and say I cannot bring to them you know what what my husband or the dad can can bring into the picture and so when you set when you have those those standards you know set from such a young age you know when you grow you have easy yeah I I would say like it's easier a hundred percent to to get in healthy relationships like I I'm still like amazed you know, there's people that they just don't, they, they've never experienced that, you know, they mm-hmm. never experienced anything traumatic in their whole entire lives. And they have super healthy relationships with super healthy human beings. And mm-hmm. that amazes me, you know, it's a small cohort of people, but, and, and every day it grows smaller, but I, it amazes me that they can still do that. And it's correlated to how they were brought up, you know, the yeah. dynamics that they saw in the home how mom treated dad, you know, what dad was like and all of, all of that plays into how you make friends, all of that, you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. I grew up in a, in a family that was very, very like close knit. Mm-hmm. And 
I really didn't get to see a lot of outsiders. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't get to see a lot of outside people that were like friends or anything. To influence. Like, yeah, like, you so know, to, you, to, to influence. Comparison. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I never really got that picture. You know, I really saw my, I grew up seeing my aunts and like my uncles and all of that. I guess those were like our quote unquote friends. But to a certain extent, like when I started making friends in school, it was really difficult because mm -hmm. it, it was almost like I felt bad that, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was like, I don't know if I can trust this person because they're not a family member. And it, it was because I grew up seeing that dynamic. And to a certain extent, it was like everybody was antisocial towards mm -hmm. anybody outside of just the family nucleus. And mm -hmm. I kind of saw it that way. And then I went into middle school and all of that and. I realized how much of that played into how I made friends, you know, and even the way that family members treated one another and the lack of boundaries and all of that. Like, I remember being in middle school and I had a friend because I was heavily bullied as a child. I had a friend that was mm. just like, why don't you do anything? You know, like you, you're just going to sit there and let them talk about you like that. Like, you're just going to like not say anything. And that's because I was mortally afraid, you know, that I was mm -hmm. going to get my butt kicked. I'm just not going to say anything back. But, you know, you best believe that if you try it now, you're going to hear a lot back. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and you will. Hear, I, you're going to hear a lot back that you want to hear. it will take you a moment to recover from <laughs> it. will take you a year to recover from what you're going to hear. Yeah, for but then she just like why did you say anything like you just sit there and take it like that's not okay as an adult now I realized like oh that was not okay but mm -hmm. it plays into all of these different dynamics that we saw growing up and so we normalize it we just yeah normalize yeah it. because we think it's normal that's exactly what it is like I I just felt like it was normal I thought it was normal to have all of these broken friendships I thought it was normal to want to fix people I just I I felt it was normal And it just really wasn't like it wasn't until probably two years ago that I just found myself like I had friends at work, but I was just like, I have truly like nobody that I can call right now and say, hey, like my life is in flames. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? I didn't have anybody that I could be close to and be like, you know, I'm brokenhearted or, you know, I just got dumped, you know, mm -hmm. like I didn't have anybody that I could say any of those, any of those things to except you, of course, but you know what I'm saying? I was going like, to say, been... say, aside from me, but we're talking about also physically like present because yeah, you know, like we, physically we... present. Yeah. 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 And it's still, it's still very much a struggle today. Mm -hmm. Like you have no idea. Letting people in has been such a huge struggle. And the part that I hate about, uh, the part that I hate right now about this process is that a lot of my friends are not here, like where mm -hmm. I'm at. They're outside of state. And making friends as an adult is really hard. And that's yeah. a conversation that, it's a conversation that people just have randomly and they tell you, oh, making friends as an adult You know, it's really difficult, but nobody really asked themselves why. why. Why is it really hard for us to make friends as adults? Because so much of life has happened. So much betrayal has happened. So much like we're, we're, first of all, we were hurt and we never dealt with the hurt. And so mm -hmm. now we're mortally afraid that we're going to get hurt again. You know, and, mm -hmm. and the reality of that is like you were never meant to just stay hurt, you know, like hurt is meant to be processed pain is meant to be processed it's not meant to be meant to be lived with and right. so what ends up happening is that when you're constantly living in pain you dismiss everyone you dismiss mm -hmm. everyone that can potentially change your life mm -hmm. like i think about 
those years ago when we walked into your apartment, you know, and mm-hmm. <laughs> almost at midnight, you could have turned us away if you were feeling mm-hmm. antisocial. You could have been mm-hmm. like, go home. <laughs> right. Right. Like these are not hours for you to come inside my house. Like this is not right. okay. But you didn't. You were like, okay, mm-hmm. I I really do need, and so mm-hmm. I have to put myself out there and see what happens. And look what became of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it became a cornerstone in how you got started in your relationship with Christ and all of that. But mm-hmm. it's true. Like just all of that pain that you live eventually sits in, and you're like. I just don't want anybody near me when it's not, it was not ever meant to be like that. Like you were meant to heal from that. That way you could be open to other relationships. And that's a conversation that I was having with our community. I said, Mm -hmm. listen, like you need tools. You need the tools to heal from pain because what's going to happen when you don't have tools to heal from pain, you're just going to avoid it all of the time. Mm -hmm. That like with, and everything that you do in this life, like it, whatever it is that you decide to love, it's going to at some point require that you go through some sort of pain. The mm-hmm. risk of loving someone, the risk of loving something is pain. It's discomfort. And it's almost like the idea that this discomfort can kill us, but it doesn't. That drives everyone crazy. You know right, what I'm saying? Right, like right. you get hurt. You get hurt and it's like, oh, I'm in so much pain. But it's like you want to die, but you don't die. And that's that's the scary <laughs> part about it. It's like, oh. Okay, I didn't die from this. So now this scares me because it means that you can take more. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's really what that means. It means that you have the capacity to love more and you have the capacity to love harder. And pain isn't supposed to corner you into not ever letting anyone in. It's supposed to make you stronger, wiser, so that you can love deeper, that you can allow Mm -hmm. these relationships in. Anyways, yeah. that's a little and bit off the <laughs> No, no, but I wanted to go back to something that you said about how how nowadays uh, generation um, after us, you know, comes in with like if you need to let go of someone, just cut it off mm-hmm. and go. We don't come from that type of generation, you know. We come from a gener, you know, the generation that raised us is a generation that respect wasn't earned; it was given regardless, even if, if the person was a abusive, you know, abusive, yeah. It was like, you don't talk to an adult like that. You lower your head. If somebody tells you to do something, you just go ahead and do it. You don't ask questions. I got in a lot of trouble because I was always like, why? <laughs> well, I, I hated problem. it. I hated it. My mom knows. I hated it when she was like, because I said so. And to me, that was like, that's not a freaking answer. Yeah, oh, because I said so. And I think that caused me to be like even more rebellious because I was just like, you know, quote unquote rebellious like it was just more like no I want an answer and I always said if I have to tell my kids not to do something I want to give them the full explanation of why they shouldn't do and leave it up to them it's your decision like for example if my kid is jumping on the couch you know and I say hey Amara get down from the couch hey Amara if you if you keep jumping you're gonna fall off and you're gonna hurt yourself I got two choices I already explained to her what's going to happen. I gave her time, right? Mm-hmm. You know what? She's going to have to fall and learn. <laughs> yeah. It, it's true. And back then, it was like they were so overprotective that they they didn't give us information, information that was needed. And then also, they were instilling uh, fear into us. Like, yes. oh, if you don't go to sleep now, you know, 
the monster's gonna get you and all these things and I'm just like ah. like now I look back at it and I'm like yeah really and even like, fear, all this... fear of relationships even fear... fear of relationships yeah and so my thing is you know for us millennials maybe a little harder to cut off because we were raised in that dynamic of like the respect stick and loyalty it. and stick yeah and you know family is family and we don't abandon family and all and I'm like over here like yeah <laughs> to a certain you know, extent I do yeah. agree you know family is family is still an invaluable thing mm-hmm, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying but I think it should still be assessed the same way that you would any relationship and this right. is a conversation that I've had to have with um, several family members about the way I treat other family members Mm -hmm. because they're like, well, you have to understand like this person is your cousin or this person's your biological father, this person's your aunt. But I've I've had to assess those relationships Mm -hmm. and really look at them and say, hey, they're not bringing to my life what I want them to bring to my life. If this person was a complete stranger... I would not Mm -hmm. let them into my life. They would have no access whatsoever. But that act right there, it seems as selfish. Yeah. See, see, like taking care of yourself for that generation, you know, our parents and our grandparents, it looks like taking care of yourself is selfish. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's not the way to go. You sacrifice yourself, which go back to that, you know, savior mentality that no, 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 you have to give all of you, you know, because that's, because that's how they think love is. And actually real love has boundaries, which takes us to, to the next question on this is how did you learn to set boundaries? Um, uh, you know, as, as you started to realize that you were in, in relationships that were like consuming yeah. you more than anything. So, yeah. so yeah, let's talk about that. No, like for me, I really honestly setting boundaries is also like fairly new to the game. Like for me, setting boundaries didn't start until like two years ago. And mm-hmm. I actually started setting boundaries. I know we did an episode on like on balance and like, you know, the work in the corporate environment. That was actually my playing ground, like my playground mm-hmm. where I started setting boundaries because of how much work I was getting. I I, I went from being an executive assistant. Um, and I, so I, I was an executive assistant and um, my role was also helping out the department of 700 people. At one point, it became too much because Mm -hmm. I was an executive assistant to the vice president of operations and his needs were excessive. Everyone always needed something from him no matter what. And then I have a department of 700 people and it's like they need, you know, but I it was almost like they were it was the same amount of work for both because VPs like other execs were looking for him and other other um, executive assistants were asking me for stuff like I even got to like talk to like the assistant to the CEO and all of that it was overwhelming you know Mm -hmm. and so I had to make a decision and I said hey I really need to let you go bro I I had a conversation with him I called him and I said hey I, I love the opportunity that you've given me but I, I, this is a lot of work for me. I cannot maintain or sustain your needs and the needs of this massive department and juggle them both because it's killing me. So I mm-hmm. need to let you go. 
And that was before the needs of this department became too much as well. Mm -hmm. But I, I always make sure while I was learning, and this is when I started going to therapy, that they were like, okay, why, do, why can't you just say you can't do that? Because mm -hmm. to a certain extent, I felt like I was failing. You know, if I wasn't able to do it all, if I wasn't able to like sustain everything, I felt like I was a failure. Like, oh my God, they trusted me to do this and now I'm letting it go. And I really had to reframe my mind from I'm failing them to I'm failing myself. Mm -hmm. I'm failing me because there's no way like seriously I, after I mean we, we spoke about it you know mm -hmm. no sleep mental health issues all of that stuff just started popping up because I felt like I was failing them and so I had to flip the script <laughs> I had to be like oh listen I, I'm failing me like I'm not doing okay I'm not doing well and so two years ago I made that decision and it started with them it started in the corporate setting mm -hmm. and I started setting boundaries for what I could and couldn't do <laughs> I had like 40 supervisors that I had to help out and oversee and you know I I constantly what was what came out of my mouth was can you just do this yourself mm -hmm. <laughs> I know it's sounded horrible but it's like does it have 700 people to deal with can you just do it yourself like can mm -hmm. you help me out with this I had to start doing that so that they delegating. Know I have a lot yeah delegating mm -hmm. so that they know I have a lot of they, I had a lot on my plate and uh, what ended up happening is I moved that I tried that out there it worked fairly well until a certain point it worked fairly well until I was denied help. I was like, oh, okay, mm -hmm. well, you no longer, at that point, I was like, okay, this no longer works for any of us. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how I knew it was time to like, you know, go. But in personal relationships, that kind of gave me like a starting ground to, mm -hmm. or a, a little boost of confidence to say, okay, well, I can voice my needs and I can share with other people how I feel and, and they're willing to help. They're willing mm -hmm. to say, Hey, we'll make it work so that you can do this and that. And that was fantastic. That made me feel like, okay, I can be in a relationship where I can voice my needs and I can tell people what I like and what I don't like. And I, I can be heard. Mm -hmm. And so moving into my personal relationships, that looked way different though, mm -hmm. because you have people that are too familiar with you and they're expecting you, they're expecting the same treatment forever. And so when you start doing the boundaries thing with them, when you start saying no, when you start saying, I don't want to do that, it almost sounds like an attack. It sounds like you're saying it's I personal. It is very it's personal. personal. It's very, it's very, personal. very personal. And um, I had to deal with a lot of my personal rejection issues throughout that time because you know, when I was, when I was going through therapy, I was asked to do a lot of crazy things. And mm -hmm. I have the same conversation with our doctor friend. She's also a doctor in psychology. I say, you therapists say a lot of crazy crap. I actually think you guys make it up. Like as you go, I really do think so. Therapists just make stuff up that they, they just make up <laughs> homework. They're like, I want you to go home and read 30 books. Like they just, so part of my process was reaching back out to a whole bunch of people that I guess I hadn't communicated well with or whatever about something just to kind of clear the air, not even for them, for me, because I guess mm -hmm. I was losing sleep over that. And one of the things that I really had to deal with was rejection. Like, oh my God, what if I mm -hmm. say this and I voice how I rejected. actually felt and I'm going to be rejected, 
you know, and I swear to you, like I almost passed out with one of them because it was a simple ass telling them that I love them, you know, and I was like, oh my God, it's been 20 years. If I go back and I told them I love them, I'm going to die, you know, and it wasn't even like that. It was like that feeling of rejection. Like, I don't even care about mm -hmm. this relationship anymore. I just need to say that and be okay mm -hmm. with myself. And right. I had to deal with that with like family members and friends, just being able to say, hey, this no longer works for us. And when they like backlash because it became personal for them, it became a rejection for them. So now we're both dealing with rejection of like, okay, mm -hmm. I wasn't rejecting you. I was just saying this ain't working for me. But what right. you're saying is you're not working for me. Not the dynamic right. isn't working for me. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. that's it's easy to like. say yes to a thousand people is the hardest thing to say no to one person. Yeah. That's the reality of it. I personally, you know, I was in the everybody, anybody needed anything financially, you know, stay at my house, food, let's go over here, let's do this, let's do that, let's go eat, let's da, 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 all this, you know, let's do, let's do, let's do, let's do, let's do. And it was exhausting. Yeah. It was definitely exhausting. And to be honest, I can't blame them because I put myself in that position. Yeah. And what was killing me the most is that I came in into those relationships, setting expectations to those people that they never agreed to. Yeah. Because that's another thing that we do. We do that thing uh, uh, coming in with like, well, if I do this, you know, this person may change or may. It's like they never even, they're not in they their mind. Said that. Like, yeah. They never said they were going to change. And so that's another part because... I mean, honestly, and this is one of the things that we wanted to, you know, we actually wanted to talk too about when you have rejection issues and you are pretty much addicted to chaos and addicted to, to, you know, there's, you can't function, you can't, you can't function if you don't have these people around you. Like, you know, there's always have to be a mess. There's always, like you, you always know, have because to be you needed. Know, you always have to fix everything. Right. Yeah. Right, because we we nor like and we normalized it because that's what we thought it was correct and for us well okay but that's what we're gonna codependency. do codependency you know, yeah codependency we become completely codependent yeah and um and that's something that I actually you know it wasn't until I think I would say like maybe two three years two three years that I started noticing what it was it's it was one of those things that I heard about. But I never put myself into that, like, I am codependent. Yeah. And I started to realize, I was like, ooh, I have, I have a trait of, ooh. I'm like, mm. Yeah. Mm. And I actually, because uh, <laughs> it, it'll be really good if you don't know what codependency, because I know she's talking about it. But I know it's helpful if you're like me, it's helpful to have something it's like okay what is that like does that mean like you need people too much because in codependence it's like one of those things that's very multi um multi-faceted it's not just mm -hmm. one thing it's many things in one and i think when you first say it people often think it's about it's about just depending on others depending on people yeah, yeah. just right. depending on others not being able to set boundaries is actually part of codependency um always being that person that needs to feel needed is part of codependency mm -hmm. and and it you can see it a lot in uh, families that have um a parent or someone that's addicted you know they mm -hmm. always want to do everything to protect them from their consequences and things like that that's codependency and you can mostly see codependency in um in households where one parent is addicted or one parent has this kind of issue or medical mm -hmm. problem 
and the other parent is just running around crazy trying to fix it. Like these are like the perfect environments for codependent. I, I, I read this once when I when I first found out I was pregnant, I, I started reading a lot of uh, things on parenting and what parents should and should not do. And what I came across this thing that said for parents never to, like if you were gonna drink uh, like alcohol or something, like to as a baby as a baby to not hold the baby and breathe like with that smell of alcohol or beer in in your mouth because they may not understand what is happening but they're creating memory through smell mm -hmm. and it can create them to be it can it can um how do you say that like it can create a memory create a memory that later on in life they may be addicted to you know they may be like uh, addicted to to alcohol right mm -hmm. and they don't even know where it's coming from and it just literally just comes from that moment of just smelling it yeah have you ever been like in a place that you smell something and you're like oh like a perfume or something right and you're like yeah. this reminds me of this or you know type thing And it does the same and the same thing with smoking. And it's so crazy how a baby, you know, just we're talking about a baby. And this is not even talking about the health, you know, like, for example, cigarette, right? Secondhand smoking and all the causes, the, all the things that it can cause, but just how the memory works, like just by yeah. the smell alone, somebody can grow up to be a smoker or a drinker, not even know it, knowing that 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 codependency and addiction was just by smell that something in your brain said if mom and dad are doing this it means it's okay, it's okay. so we will, yeah. we're gonna normalize it and when i grow up it's okay for me to do it yeah and and um, that's part of being codependent you know yeah of, of that's, something it's, it's as well. definitely it comes from behaviors that you see um at the home right. but i uh, wanted to read off to kind of you guys what the traits of codependent people are And uh, the first one is an exaggerated sense of responsibility for the actions of others, uh, a tendency to confuse love and pity with the tendency to love people they can pity and rescue, a tendency to do more than your share all of the time, a tendency to become hurt when people don't recognize your efforts. I can say that's a huge one for me. Um, an unhealthy dependence on relationships. The codependent will do anything to hold on to a relationship to avoid the feeling of abandonment slash rejection. Like that's the people that stay in relationships, even though the relationship is just no longer good. Like you have right. some sort of um, loyalty to that mm -hmm. and an extreme need for approval of recognition, a sense of guilt when you assert yourself. That's why I had such a such a huge problem even mm -hmm. saying my needs because like what if I say it and then I get rejected I just right. had a problem asserting myself into there mm -hmm. and yeah, then, you, you devalue it's like yeah you don't want to yeah. be devalued mm -hmm. exactly a compelling need to control others Pfft, that's everybody lack of trust <laughs> lack of trust in self and others mm -hmm. trust me that's something that that's a big fight that I've had to 
doing the past year, just like not trusting myself, fear of being abandoned or alone, difficulty identifying feelings like you just don't know what you're feeling all the time, mm -hmm. um, rigidity, difficulty adjusting to change, problems with intimacy and boundaries, chronic mm -hmm. anger, lying, dishonesty, poor communication, difficulty making decisions. So that's a long list but i'm telling you it's it a is huge monster it's like the seven mm -hmm. head monster that you have to watch out for because mm -hmm. if you grew up in these environments and you're seeing all of this stuff going on at home you may be going through life thinking oh this is okay like this is normal mm -hmm. when in reality it's not yeah yeah no most definitely and you know i've you know i'm gonna tell i'm gonna talk a little bit about this and then we'll go into our next um question but I, back in 2018, when I went to, well, you were there, you know, what mm -hmm. happened. But when I was going through that whole weight loss and stuff like that, that year was so important to me um, because I've, I've made a decision that I remember we were talking about it for so long, right? Mm -hmm. And it was difficult for some people. You know, I had a few people, you know, when I was taking, you know, making those decisions, right, that they were so codependent you know, mm -hmm. to me in the way that I was, that making just that change of weight loss was scary to them. And yeah. it's not until like years later that I'm able to, you know, put two and two together because mm -hmm. at the moment I was just like, what the heck is wrong with you? Like, I'm just losing weight. Like, I, what do you mean I'm going to change that? I'm still Jan. Like, but the reality was they knew something. And the, the truth was, is that I was going to change because the moment that I did something for myself, mm -hmm. For them, yeah. it became a selfish act mm. for them. But then I, I was slapped in the face with the rejection. I was slapped in the face with the, with the, you're not the same. Like you're not, you're not the same person. I was like, I feel like I am the same person. It's like a but huge gaslight. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and I had to go through that. Like, and, and that year I lost so many people in my life. Like I lost a lot of people in my life that year. Mm -hmm. And when I say lost, I'm not saying they died. I'm saying like, they just stopped being my friends after years of knowing them just because I did something good for myself. And it was that thing. Like, that's when I was like, misery loves company. That's when I actually understood what that meant. Like misery loves company. And when you have relationships that are toxic and codependent um, like that, you the, the person wants you to be miserable with them and as long as you're miserable with them everything is okay but the moment you, you do one thing mm -hmm. to progress to move forward they're gonna throw you with they're gonna throw at you everything that they possibly can they're gonna yeah, like you said gaslight you they're gonna do whatever it takes to keep you from progressing and i had to make a decision at that point i had to say i love you but you should be happy for me you should be feeling you should be celebrating the fact that i'm doing something good for my health i mean to to, to think about it now and be like you rather me be diabetic you know like all mm. of these things because so that i could so that you don't feel alone so that you don't you, yeah. you, the manipulation and they know that they can pull on you because they know you have that savior mentality they know yeah. In the in the sense of like they may not know what it is, but they know, oh, you know, she's never gonna leave me. She's always been there for me. Yeah. She's never gonna uh this but the moment you do and when I went through that, I was like, Wow, this is not 
what kind of relationships are this? This is not yeah. really a relationship. You know, this is one-sided and I'm being consumed because I also have things that I need to heal in myself and and and, and I need to start getting with people that do want change, yeah. that do want to, they, they do want to see me progress. They do want to uh, help me and be alongside with me because that was actually my heart. And, you know, like I always said, like, I always say this is that I don't need to be in the front. I can be sitting in the back. Nobody knows that I'm there. But to get to see my people and, you know, just just succeed and, and meet their goals, to me, it's like, I love it. You know, I love it. I don't have to, you don't have, you don't have to know that I'm there. And that's always been my heart. But to know that the people that I was giving my all, and, you know, in this situation, all the people that I lost, like I was giving my all in and they were like refusing they were refusing my change. They were refusing that yeah. I was not going to stay in the same mindset that they that they were. And something that, that was beneficial for you, like right, this was like a health. This was like a life or death thing for you. I do remember that. Right. That it was like you're you're trying to get your health aligned, and even that became an inconvenience to some. So right, right. And the thing is, like, what happened was that self care. Remember, we were talking at the beginning, mm -hmm. like how we were taught self care. No, we don't self care. As soon as I started feeling my my self-esteem go up i start to feel that power in me you know that wow i actually can do something good for myself it actually doesn't take away from anybody else because it has nothing to do with them it has all to do with me you know and you start like your mind starts changing and you 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 know you get into that that mindset mm -hmm. and all this stuff and i was feeling and still today you know i i, I felt so good and when i when Random people that I just met treated me as if they have met me my entire life and kept encouraging me. Do you do go for more? I'm going to go to school. Do it. I did it when I was pregnant. I remember my friend Nikki, she was like, dude, I went to school like with a newborn. And mm -hmm. he just sat there. He was like, and I was just finishing my bachelor's and stuff like that. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do these things. And I'm, I'm serious. I lost like more than five people. Like, completely gone out of my life because one one decision and so now with that we move into into the next question is it what helps what helped you or helped us you know get into healthy relationships what were things that helped us you know for me I just share you know you change your mindset right and you start doing because we have to be the change we have we want to see mm -hmm. and sometimes we are in the mess and we're not changing anything. We're just steering the pot. Nothing is changing, right? But the moment you step outside from that and you make one change. That's when the pots get stirred. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's hard because it's like it is a stirring of the pot that happens. Mm -hmm. You know, not for you, but for everyone else that benefits off of the current state that you're in. If it's a bad one, then the moment you decide that you're going to get your life right, you'll see everybody else that really wasn't in it for you. They were in mm -hmm. it for them. It they it becomes almost like a reveal to you mm -hmm. of who's really for you and who's not. What helped me get into a healthy relationship and healthy relationships, 100%, I would have to say therapy. I mean, I mentioned it early, just testing it out in my workplace mm -hmm. let me just start setting some boundaries and 
my therapist gave me some really neat tips and tricks that I can try and things that I could do to kind of like claim my space and mm-hmm. really say, hey, this is who I am. This is what I need. One of those things was understanding what Kathleen needed. I needed mm-hmm. to I, I needed to understand that because first of all, I had no idea that I had needs. <laughs> and that happens when you're when you're in an unhealthy relationship or you've been like you can tell that crazy? you've been How can in you unhealthy relationships and you don't know that you have needs. Isn't that and that's part of the frustration. Yeah. That's a hundred percent. Because you, your your brain is is back here, you know, like, like yeah, I have needs. Like, I have needs. <laughs> But it, it boils down to what you were saying. Uh, uh, like, mm-hmm. it's funny because that last question just kind of ties everything we, mm-hmm. we were saying in the in, in the conversation. It boils down to what we were taught, you know, because that, um, we're both Hispanic and growing up, you see your grandparents, your mom just sacrificing so much. And it's like, do you have a need? Is there something that you want to do mm-hmm. for you? You don't really grow up seeing that. And so now you're kind of walking the same, the same direction that they are and it's not working out for you you know and mm-hmm. i'm like okay this is clearly not like neglecting myself abandoning myself is not really working out so well for me so one of the very first things that he had me do was determine what my needs were i wrote mm-hmm. a huge list of like kathleen needs this she needs to feel safe she needs to feel protected like all of these different things this is what i need and he had me go through all of my relationships it's like okay, what relationships are fulfilling these needs for you and what relationships aren't? And Mm -hmm. surprisingly, I had a lot of people that weren't fulfilling that need for me. So that's how I was able to identify, okay, well, you're not a key player. (laughs) You're kind Mm -hmm. of like high and by kind of deal. You're not someone that I can keep in my life. The second thing was apart from the needs were my my values, which Mm -hmm. they're they're not the same thing. Like I really want in every relationship that I have um, someone that has the ability to grow someone mm-hmm. that ha- it's ambitious, someone that really wants and not ambitious, like in a crazy deluded way, but someone that wants something out of their life, that they have a passion for something that's really strong in their purpose. I really want those things and believe it or not, having that small compass that the small tools has helped me even identify in this current season people that shouldn't even be in my life and Mm -hmm. remember that conversation that I was having with you the other days that I had to make inventory of of a relationship Mm -hmm. that I had and really say to myself wait a minute I kind of see the pattern that this person has with all of my previous unhealthy relationships and I've been ignoring it like I've been just going with it because and and funny enough like I've been kind of to the side about it and I'm like Mm -hmm. "Hmm, there's something about this that doesn't sit right but when I wrote it down and I really was able to see the whole picture I said wait I've seen this before and Mm -hmm. now I'm not fooling myself anymore into thinking oh your friendship is going to help them I'm like Mm -hmm. no it ain't (laughs) trust me I played that game I've done that before you need to hear the truth cat 
your friendship is gonna change it's gonna change you it's not gonna change it's not gonna change them yeah exactly it's gonna change me but it's not gonna change them and so i decided from making that list of pros and cons of having this person in my life i decided hey you know what Mm -hmm. i have to distance myself from this particular person and i have to make a decision for myself i don't want to be in a relationship where i'm trying or even insinuating that i have to save someone because that's just not a good reason why to be in a relationship at all so that those were one of the tools that um helped me do that nice nice and and the thing is this guys like we have to be diligent and looking to be in the right circles yeah we have to we have to because i mean kathleen and i and this is why you know i love this 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 topic that we're talking about you know powerful relationships you know she's 10 years younger than me her life looks completely different than my life but i'm progressive and if there's any area of her that is not progressing, I'll come on that door and be like, you better look at this and let's come out. And vice versa. She'll come to me and be like, Dan, you can progress. You can do better here. You can be an accountability because, yeah, we're going to go into like another tool. Having accountability. It's key. It's key. It's key. It's one of the most important. And the reason why most people run run away from accountability is because they don't want to be confronted with the truth that they've been doing life wrong when it comes to relationships. And also because it's the only way they feel that they are loved, you know, and it's, they just succumb to that. Like it's almost like Stockholm syndrome, (laughs) you know, like I've met people that are married to like narcissistic, right? you know, very narcissistic partners. Types, yeah. And, and and you're like, dude, and they rather stay there than take a step and go towards what something better, you yeah. know, or better themselves or stand up. And um so accountability, yes, accountability is one of the tools that I personally have used, you know, having you having also um uh we have a healthy community, you know, that we can be ourselves, that we can come and say, hey, I'm going through this, I'm going through that. Um, like like we do, you know, we have our, our community that we can just come and basically say mm-hmm. what we need to say. And it doesn't mean everybody's gonna agree. But yeah. at the end of the day, the agreement is I still love you. And we don't have to agree on everything, but we're doing life together and we're gonna to progress together. And that's healthy. Yeah. Healthy is not is not being the same and agreeing and everything, because that's another light too, you know. We don't have to agree. Because her and I, we don't agree on everything. Mm-hmm. But it the agreement that's not is not the important thing. <laughs> exactly. Important the agreement thing. is we're gonna we're gonna push each other because we love each other and we want what's best for each other. Mm-hmm. And sometimes what's best for me may be an inconvenience to her and what's best for her may be an inconvenience to me in the sense of like where we may be at in life. Like for example, one of the things that somebody asked me once is like let's let's go down relationships. My my friend, I have a friend Brenda, I've known her for for so long um and the the way that the question was put was Let's say Brenda has always been there for you. And this was, this came up on therapy, right? Because that's another tool, therapy, counseling. And through, through counseling, I remember they asked me, they're like, let's say Brenda is, has been there for you your entire life. Mm-hmm. Every single thing, she, event, you know, good, bad, ugly, whatever, she's been there. And then one day you call her 
and you say, I'm going through this and I need you here. And Brenda says, I am so sorry, I cannot be there. A person who is in the right mind is not going to gaslight. Yeah. A person who's in the right mind, you're not going to cut up that relation, cut off that relationship because that person was not there once for you. Because you got to look back at the history. And those are, those are things that when you say, like, you said you were um, reevaluating your relationships. I was doing kind of like that exercise. Oh, I was going yeah. one by one, like the people who, you know. And when he said that, I was like, I've known of people that I've said no once and they just gone. That's it. That's and it. That's, how, that's, that's a sign. This is, this is toxic. And it's a toxic trait on you as well because you're somehow attracted to that. So it's a way of you kind of like when you ask yourself, you know, mm -hmm. that question, it's like it brings awareness. You know, it brings awareness and it kind of talks about, you know, the tools. Um, there isn't, there's something that I know you use. What? Uh, like for the codependence? Yeah. Yeah. So, coda.org, I, if you want to learn a little bit more about codependency, um, definitely counseling therapy. Like we mentioned earlier, what some of the traits of codependence are. If you identified yourself in that list, like this is something that I'm telling you, if you identified it, definitely do something about it because in the future, it can 100% destroy your relationships. It can become a destructive force in what you're trying to build, like family and all that mm -hmm. stuff. So you definitely want to be mindful of that. If you want to learn more, go to coda.org. It tells you a little bit more about the different patterns and all of that that you can learn. And they also have chapters. It's, it's a little bit like an AA, but not really like an AA it's just meetings that you can go to and you can listen to people and hear their stories I think I find it really useful I learn stuff about it all of the time um but you know you were you were talking about um that and then something else is uh, prayer meditation so that's mm -hmm. something that you kind of use to center yourself and just really ask for guidance if you're if you're the religious type or you're the spiritual type um definitely recommend prayer meditation about a place where you can sit down and empty yourself and really understand where you're at in your relationships right. and ask for guidance for you know that that's super helpful um but i i 100 agree with what jan just stated about the friends that she had that they were not narcissistic relationships and people saying mm -hmm. no i the the amazing thing about being in this in these circles of communities support communities is that you get to hear crazy stories but it's so true you know how a husband could be in a codependent relationship with someone for 20 years and they tell their wife no one time and it's already divorce papers on the table mm -hmm. because you you know people realize wow you like I told you no once my whole right. entire life people pleasing you but one time I do something for me I already get divorce papers on the table And then mm -hmm. it's it's crazy. It sounds insane, but the moment you realize that you have to set boundaries and you set them, that's when the real ones identify themselves and the fake ones identify themselves. Yeah. But yeah. Um, we're coming yeah. to a close in the yes in the episode. I think this was a, a great great episode. I love this topic. We definitely have to um, follow it up with some more because I know there was more you know right, that right. more stories that we can share i guess we can we can yeah. share more in um season yeah. two for sure yeah. um definitely but yeah. yeah i wanted i wanted to say this you know powerful relationships are not are not relationships that keep you in the same space powerful relationships are those that propel you to change um and to achieve the things that you 
know that you can. And so, you know, if you're listening to us and you have to ask yourself and reevaluate your relationships, ask yourself that question. Are the relationships around me powerful? Are they propelling me to to do better, to 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 take care of my own self, to prioritize me instead of prioritizing everybody else, you know? Um, because that that's gonna give you a good, it's gonna give you a good image, good picture of who who needs to be there and who you need to start setting boundaries and possibly eventually letting go. And Hey, it's okay. We're all going through it (laughs) and it's going to be okay. But thank you so much for listening to us. And if you're viewing us, thank you so much for your support. Um, Yeah. And uh, we will see you and talk to you on our next episode. So this has been live with Danny. You guys have a great day. Bye. Bye. <laughs>